Okay, let's consider, we want to give you an idea of the setting before we get into, into the study. Paul ended his first half, ended the first half of his letter to the Romans on a climactic note designed to cause his readers to affirm all he had written to that point. Though seven through seven rhetorical questions and his responses to them, Paul not only encourages readers but led them to affirm their triumph in Christ and his love for them. Paul identified with his readers by writing in the first person throughout the passage, as we will see as we get into the scripture verses. So then let's look at uh, Bible meets life. Bible meets life on page 30. I've been married for over 35 years, and that's been plenty of time for me to mess up. I mean, really mess up. When I do make mistakes, I apologize and ask my wife to forgive me. Of course she forgives me, but there's more to it than that. She wants more than an apology. She wants my assurance that I'm not going to repeat the stupid thing I did in the first place. <laughs> she wants repentance. The term repentance literally means to turn around or to change direction. Repentance is that U-turn in life when you realize your head is in the wrong direction and you turn around to head back the way you should be going. The Christian life is a life of repentance, but that repentance is so much more than just being sorry for what we've done. Seeking forgiveness is only the beginning. Christ has far more in store for us than a repeating cycle of failure and apology, followed by more failure and apology. Christ gives us more than just forgiveness for sin. He gives us victory over sin. In Romans 6, Paul wrote about the difference. Okay. As we'll see as we get into uh, the text, what Paul talks about in terms of uh, forgiveness. So what's the point of our lesson today? Sin is no longer my master. Jesus is. Sin is no longer I have the right thing. I have the right thing here. Sin is no longer my master. Jesus is. But do we always live that way? No. We are we 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 act as if sin is the master, right? Because we are, we allow ourselves to be governed or moved by what sin wants rather than what the Lord Jesus Christ wants. Okay, I got the wrong one here. All right. Session. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's look at the passage then. Uh, the first passage uh, on Therefore, page 31. We were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. 
For if we are being united with him in his likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self were crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Okay, that brings us to question number two. Which statements in this passage do you find most encouraging and why? What part of this statement do you find most encouraging and why? We were buried with Christ. Okay, we are buried with Christ. Which verse is that? Verse um, 4? We've been buried with him. Why? And then the, the thing about it is we can, we can rise with him and that makes us possible to live as he lived. Okay. Most of the times we take one path, we will bury with him. Mm -hmm. But we don't walk in newness of life and that's where we fail. Okay. As just as Jesus is, so are we. So if he is able to walk in newness of life, we should be able to walk in this. Okay, That's good right. point. All right, anybody else? Six. Or six? Yeah, it says, but we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. So, uh, because Christ died, um, sin should be powerless over our being um, because of his death. Okay, so we allow Christ's death to carry out the power that it's supposed to carry in our lives by allowing us not to be enslaved to sin. So we, uh, you know what is happening here? We are not taking hold of the other part. We, we, we agree that we are dead to sin. Jesus Christ that, but we are not walking that the same kind of thing. We have to recognize that we are able to live like Christ. And it's real. Even if even though we might be walking it, but it's real. As he is so we. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's look at the verses, the, the paragraph beneath the verse there. Baptism by immersion is important. We value it not because it's necessary for salvation, but because it symbolically expresses the deepest meaning of our salvation. In baptism, we are symbolically buried with Christ. Just as Christ died and was buried, we also die and are buried in at least two, day, two ways. We die because we recognize the penalty of our sinfulness. As Paul would point out later in this chapter, the wages of sin is death. We die because we live, we give ourselves totally to Christ. We place all our dreams, our hopes, and our plans on the altar before Him, dying to ourselves. Okay, let's stop right there and look at that verse. Uh, Luke 23. Luke. What's the verse? Nine. Luke 9 23. It says, then 
he said to the crowd, if anyone, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. And that's the, that's the New Living Translation uh, of the Bible. Uh, Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants, anyone, if any of you, anybody wants to be my follower, here's what you got to do. What do you have to do? Deny yourself. Deny yourself by turning from your selfish ways. And we know we have a problem with self, right? Take up your cross once in a while. How often? Every day, right? Daily. Take up your cross and follow me. That's a good remedy that we should want to apply to our lives. Okay, continue reading to Brenda. Paul made an insightful application to these truths in verse 7. A person who died is freed from sin. In other words, the wages of sin is death. But we have died with Christ, therefore we are free from sin's death. Dead people don't pay bills. Dead people also don't respond to outward stimuli. 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 In the same way, followers of Christ no longer respond to the pressures of temptation. We are now dead in Christ, and the enticements of temptation have no effect on us. Dying, however, is just the first step. Okay, dying is just the first step. Dead people don't do what? Okay, they don't pay bills. Boy, you know, when you think about it like that, we got a lot of dead people walking around in place. Because you have a lot of people who don't pay bills. <laughs> we, need to, we need to remind them. <laughs> okay, and dead people don't respond to what stimuli. Okay, in other words, dead people can't be stimulated. A couple of points we need to look at there. Uh, in that passage. First of all, baptism is by baptism by immersion is important. We value it because it is necessary for salvation. Not only because it's necessary for salvation, but because it symbolically expresses the deepest meaning of our salvation. We are buried with Christ. Paul made an insightful, uh, second point is Paul made an insightful application of these truths in verse 7. When he says, a person who has died is freed from sin. In other words, the wages, the wages of sin is death. But we have died with Christ. Therefore, we are free from sin's death. Because dead people don't pay bills. And then uh, the third point uh, he makes here is, dead people also don't respond to stim stimuli. In the same way, followers of Christ no longer respond to the pressure of temptation. We are now dead in Christ, and the enticements of temptation have no effect on us. Dying, however, is just the first step. So as we move towards verses 8 to 11, we'll find the next step in the process, Paul described. Dying to Christ leads to our spiritual resurrection through his power and for 
his glory. So let's look at that other passage. Uh, Romans 6, 8 11. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For when death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you two consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay. This cause us not only to die to our own self, but also to live fully for him in our new lives. Just as we buried with Christ in our baptism, we, re- we rise to new life in him. This new life in Christ is molded on his new life after his resurrection from the tomb. That is a major consequence of sin. But in Christ, we are free from death. In a sense, Paul repeated himself throughout this section, which is what good teachers often do. Paul desired for this incredible truth to sink in that Christ died once and for all, covering by his sacrifice to sin death every human owns. His death made our life possible, and his gift of life is richer and deeper than we could imagine. Because of Christ's death and suffering, resurrection, he lives to God. Absolutely everything in Christ's life is good, is God focused. Jesus is the complete victor over our sin and our death. So he now lives in constant, unbroken fellowship with God the Father. And here's the best news, thanks to Jesus. We can also live in unbroken fellowship with God as well. Unfortunately, we often find it hard to live like Jesus. In Christ, we dead to sin. But sin doesn't always seem dead to us. What Paul told us to consider, what Paul told us to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He used a legal and business term to consider. It's simply to deal with the facts an accountant doesn't balance a spreadsheet as he wishes. He considers the numbers in front of her and renders a truthful bottom line based on those numbers. Okay, go on to the next page. The bottom line for disciples of Jesus is that we are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Those are the facts. Therefore, sin no longer has any authority over our lives. Sin can't make us do anything we do longer, no longer have to be trapped in this sinless cycle of guilt and shame, or promising to do better only to fail again. We are free. Okay. Free. Let's look at that. Uh um, two paragraphs on page 34. He says, the bottom line 
as the end of page 34, the bottom line for disciples of Jesus is that we are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Those are the facts. Therefore, sin no longer has any authority over our lives. Sin can't make us do anything. Nothing. As someone once said, N-U-T-T-I-N, nothing. We no longer have to be trapped in this endless cycle of guilt and shame, of promising to do better only to fail again. And you could add again and again and again to that. And the last word says, we are free. Unfortunately, some people don't think they're free. And today they go through this endless cycle over and over again. Question number three. Disciples of Jesus are dead to sin. Why then do we still struggle with sin? We struggle with sin because we don't recognize that word reckon. We have to recognize we are dead to sin. That word reckon is out our spiritual life. We are not taking out that. We have to recognize that dead to sin. Yeah. Another word is, is, is uh, consider, right? Yeah. Verse 11? Uh, is that verse 11? Where it says reckon, consider? Nine words of the head. I can't remember the word. Okay, that word consider in verse 11. Okay. It says, it's a, it's a Greek you word. Say it, but I didn't say reckon. Yeah, it's, it's, it's consider or reckon. It's a bookkeeping metaphor. That's what it is, a bookkeeping metaphor. It invites reasoning and refers to making a calculation. It is to count on something as a fact. Okay, you count it as a fact. I've counted deal with facts, right? They don't deal with speculation. Okay, consider, reckon, consider yourself dead to sin. Okay, Paul told his follower, fellow believers to consider yourselves in two new ways. The verb is a present imperative indicating that both that is a continuing process throughout the Christian life and that believers continually need to remember and remind themselves of these two facts. First, believers need to consider themselves dead to sin. It doesn't mean we no longer commit sins. That's not what it means. But that we are no longer enslaved to sin or dominated by it. In other words, you don't have to consider yourself, oh, you have to sin. Uh, there's no way you can't get around sinning. What he says is consider yourself dead, you don't have to sin. And then second, that's the first thing. The second thing is believers are to consider themselves alive to God. The believer's life is now redirected, focused on God in service and a desire to please him, not to be moved and motivated and run over by the dictates of sin. Alright, so that's an important word there, consider. You need to take, mention, take real serious note of that. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourselves alive to God. There is a difference there. Okay. So as we, um, as we conclude with verses 12 to 14, we'll find another, an important challenge from the Apostle Paul, along with an 
inspiring promise of hope. So let's look at those, those final verses there, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, good. go ahead. All of this begs an important question. Why do we still sin? The answer is not knowing we're dead to sin and living like it are two different things. In verses 12 to 13, Paul instructed us on how to act on the knowledge that we are dead to sin. He was essentially saying, quit choosing to sin. We're not to let any part of ourselves our bodies, our minds, or our hearts, our desires for things that are not of God. Paul wrote this partly to correct a false teaching in the early church that totally separated the body from the spirit. According to these false teachers, only the spiritual life was important. The body didn't matter. Consequently, if a person was really spiritually spiritual, then he could do whatever he wanted to do in his physical body without affecting him spiritually. Spirituality. Go on, next page. In today's world, a lot of Christians still live that way. For instance, many people try to justify viewing pornography by saying, I'm not hurting anyone. No one will ever know. This is my little private sin. That just isn't so. Sin effects and consequences are both incremental and deadly. <coughs> what the eyes see, the mind remembers. What the mind remember, remembers, the heart desires. What we desire becomes what we do. What we do determines who we are. Sin, no matter how private we think it may be, always has public consequences. And sin, no matter how small we convince ourselves it is, affects our relationship with God. For this reason, Paul said we are not to offer any parts of our bodies or our lives for sin's use. Instead, Paul instructed us to offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. As we daily surrender ourselves to Christ, he not only gives us the power to overcome temptation, he also continually works in us to heal our desires. He makes us more like himself. Of course, we're called to do more than avoiding sin as we make our way through life, which is why Christ offers us more than forgiveness. Christ died not only for our forgiveness, but also for our freedom, freedom from condemnation, from our past, from our sins. 
We are now free to love, forgive, and serve as he did. We are free to have his joy. Christ has so much in store for your life. Make sure you get it all. Okay. It's a powerful passage. But notice some points there. Um, uh, basically, four major points we want to highlight uh, from that passage. Uh, the first one is, all of this begs an important question. Why do we still sin? The answer is that knowing we are dead to sin and living like it are two different things. That's the first point we need to remember. The other one is, in verses 12 to 13, Paul instructs us on how to act on the knowledge that we are dead to sin. He was essentially saying, quit choosing to sin. See, whenever you sin, it's a choice that you make. It doesn't come automatically. All right? It's a choice that we make. And so Paul says, the answer is, just quit. Stop doing it. And then the third point he makes is, instead Paul instructs us to offer ourselves to God, and get this, all parts of ourselves to God, as weapons for righteousness. So as we daily surrender ourselves to Christ, he not only gives us the power to overcome temptation, he also continually works in us to heal our desires. He makes us more like himself. Now, only God can do that. Only Christ can do that. We can't do that. Okay, but we can follow the steps that he's given us so that that can happen. And then the fourth point he makes is, of course, we're all called to do more than avoiding sin as we make our way through life, which is why Christ offers us more than forgiveness. Christ died not only for our forgiveness, but also for our freedom. And that's something that many people don't think about. Christ didn't just die for our forgiveness, he died for our freedom. But also, as we look at that um, paragraph again, notice those four points. Uh, he says, sin's effects, are, sin's effects and consequences are both incremental and deadly. Four point bullet points he mentions there. And when I read this, I think of, of, of David and Bathsheba. Remember that? Well, notice this, what the eyes see, the mind remembers. David was supposed to be out in the field fighting the battle. Where was he? Where he wasn't supposed to be. He was on that roof walking around. And what he saw, he saw Bathsheba taking a bath. What he saw, his mind remembered. Second point is what the mind remembers, the heart desires. The Bible tells us in that story that David desired Bathsheba because of what he saw and what his mind remembered. Now, if he didn't see it, his mind wouldn't remember it, and he wouldn't have desired it, right? Third point is what we desire becomes what we do. What did, what did David do? He sent his brother and said, go get that woman for me. I, I, I want her. Bring her here. Okay? And so what the eye saw, his mind remembered. What the mind remembers, his heart desired. And what he desired became what he wanted to do. And then the, the fourth point is what we do determines who we are. What did David do? He committed sin. And what did that make him? He committed adultery. That made him an adulterer, right? What we do determines who we are. 
when we sin, that makes us sinners, right? And so that's a good, uh, those four bullet points is something to remember as we think about what Paul is saying here. That brings us to question number four. As believers, what help can we expect to receive in fighting sin? What help do we expect to receive in fighting sin? And the truth of the life of Christ, that he is there for us to not to sin. Okay. To encourage us not to sin. Christ died not only for our forgiveness, but for our freedom. Right? We have the Holy Spirit now to help us. Okay. Just uh well, his strength. His strength will help us to fight sin, right? Okay. The strength he gives us. The strength he gives us help us. We can't do it in our strength. Right, okay. We can't do it in our own strength. We have to lean on him. We have to depend on him. Right. And another word in there too is knowing. Knowing that we've been given to give us the power to mm-hmm. Knowing that we can reckon on what Christ can give us to do. Okay. Knowing and reckoning is two words in that and the mm-hmm. sense we need to be with. Okay, having the knowledge. Yeah. Um, okay. He says he not only gives us power to overcome temptation, he also continually works in us to heal our desires. He makes us more like himself. Now question number five, last question. How can we help one another live out the freedom Jesus has made available to us? How can we help one another live out the freedom that Jesus has made available to us? Pray for each other. Pray for each other, okay. If you know a brother or sister, or share what you're struggling with, so that you can pray intelligently for that individual, what they're going through. Okay, what else? Anybody else? Moving on quickly. The back to the point. What's the point? Sin no longer my master, Jesus is. Sin is no longer my master, Jesus is. And so we need to remember that point whenever we attempt, we are tempted and challenged. Okay, let's look at what we can do this week to apply uh, these lessons that we've learned here today. Uh, Through Christ, we have victory over sin. We've seen that. How will that be evident in your life this week? In your life and my life this week? Let's consider taking these steps. First one is confess. Give your sin to Christ. No matter how small you consider it, Acknowledge that Christ is your Lord and Master and choose to live in victory in Him. First thing, confess. The second thing is remove. Evaluate your life for habits, routines, or relationships that pull you into sin. Create a plan for removing them or limiting their power over you. Good point. And then, third final point, team up. Partner with another believer and support each other in saying no to sin and yes to Jesus. Make a practical plan to connect regularly and remind each other that sin is no longer the master, Jesus is. And then finally, we are all going to make mistakes as followers of Christ. 
We're all going to struggle against the corruption of sin until we see him face to face. Yet, you're no longer defined by that struggle. We are victorious over sin because we ultimately belong to Jesus. Good and powerful lesson for us to learn, uh, to, to keep with us as we move forward uh, in the weeks ahead. Amen?